everybody. Jonathan Doyle with you once again. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Supply Side Podcast. Really great to have the pleasure of your company. Today, my friends, we are going a little further down the rabbit hole, a little deeper into the parallel universe that is MMT, Modern Monetary Theory, or as Jim Rogers likes to call it, More Money Today. Yes, indeed, this is a Supply Side Podcast. This is where we focus on the basic supply side ideas that when men and women produce useful goods and services that people actually want, then economies and uh, societies can flourish, which is a little different to the world we are inhabiting right now, where I think we are currently a little north of around 20 trillion, 22 trillion of excess global liquidity since the start of uh, the COVID pandemic. And uh, that is washing around global asset markets and it's finding a home and creating the everything bubble. So what we're doing here is I wanted to understand MMT. As regular listeners know, I came into this whole space of global macro finance uh, and uh, economic history, political economy. I came into it very, very late. It was one of the few blessings of COVID is that I uh, started to get an interest in this area. So I'm sure many of you listening will have had long and extensive careers professionally, academically in these areas. I have not. So I have a curiosity that uh, hopefully is a little uh, refreshing for people. And I wanted to understand MMT. I, you know, I sort of began to understand the uh, the kind of resets of the global monetary systems that seem to take place every seventy to eighty years, and and uh, really noticing that MMT is a it's really what's happening, isn't it? It's it's basically. I mean, if you go back to my first video on this, I was talking about um, how a lot of MMT advocates talk about its descriptive power, which I said was a little bit of sophistry, uh, because they they sort of pretend that that's all it is, uh, and it's it's much more than that. But I think it is fair to say that it is descriptive. <laughs> MMT is describing what is actually happening. And so I wanted to understand it better. I thought it was really important that uh, we got to terms with this. We got to a real, you know, got to grips with what MMT advocates really believe. And um, and I think we should be able to critique it. And if it's wrong, we should be able to poke plenty of holes in it. So wherever you're hearing this, I'd love you to post some comments if you're seeing the YouTube version or if you're on the website here at supplysidepartners.com. I'd love it if you could uh, post your thoughts and uh and insights into this mmt journey so now we're into chapter one so i've done the first overarching video podcast where i talked about the general flow of stephanie kelton's book the deficit myth so of course stephanie kelton is the most widely known global advocate of mmt and so i'm working forensically through her book and so we're into chapter one so chapter one is you know and the flow of her book is to present a myth and then to present what she calls reality. So she presents a myth that, you know, probably supply-siders or the, the general public thinks. And here's a good thing about the general public, you know, yeah, they, they, they often get it right. You know, I often say if you, if you, if you can get a five-year-old or the general public to, to see the basic truth of something, yeah, you're probably onto something important. So I guess uh, Stephanie Kelton would argue that there is a myth that the majority of us out there in uh, political economy land believe and she and other mmt advocates are here to uh disabuse us disavow us of our um of our foolishness and show us the truth in our blindness so here's the first one this is chapter one so 
the whole framing of this chapter is about the idea of that we must no longer think of government fiscal policy as having anything to do with a household budget. So, of course, all of us who have a, you know, personal finances, which we all do, and some of us have children and families, and we know the, the broad reality that you cannot consume more than you produce. You can't spend more than you earn or save. Eventually, there comes a reckoning at some point. I'm not talking about strategic leverage here and using debt, uh, you know, strategically. I'm talking about this basic idea that, bal- that budgets must balance. Uh, Dr. Kelton makes the point that politicians actually love this rhetoric and uh, and she also says that they really don't know better, that a lot of politicians still approach government finances in the same way as a household budget. But it's very, and I think she does make a good point here, that it is very easy for politicians to uh, point to fiscal deficits and attack their opponents by saying the budget's not balanced, the budget's not balanced, and and to pitch that household budget mentality to the general public. I think that's a that is a valid point that um, you know it's it's a very easy message to sell for if you're a politician to go look at the profligate spending over here. If we were in power we would balance it like a household budget. So this is where MMT begins its point of departure. And uh, she basically says that we have to understand that government finances bear zero relation to household finances. So this is where she wants to correct the myth that um, she believes in this idea that there is a vast difference between currency issuers and currency users. And these are the terms she used. So here's a direct quote. She says, only the federal government can issue currency. Everyone else is merely a currency user. And this is... If you're eating your cornflakes, you may be about to choke on them. She says, it's a special power that must be exercised with great care. Hmm, yes, of course it is. And uh, I think most of us would agree, would agree that it's not exactly a, uh, a power that is currently being exercised with great care by the political class. And just on that... Um, I'm due next week to interview the wonderful Sam Gregg, who's the research director at the Acton Institute. And uh, he had a quote yesterday. I was reading one of his articles on uh, public discourse, and he quotes Alexander Hamilton, 1795, who said that debt accumulation was perhaps the natural disease of all governments. Amen to that. So uh, I like how Dr. Kelton here says that this special power of being a currency issuer must be exercised with great care. Yes, I think we could probably critique the the uh, veracity of that statement. But this is a core principle that uh, if governments can issue currency, they are in a fundamentally different class of reality than the rest of us and here is another really important quote this is from page 18 and uh, you want to hear this one she says the distinction between currency users and the currency issuer lies at the heart of mmt right that's her word so if you want to understand the core of mmt you have to understand this distinction between the currency issuer and the rest of us great unwashed who are merely currency users Uh, She also then talks a little bit about the concept of monetary sovereignty, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. So the basic principle that if a government prints and borrows in its own currency, and wait for it, she argues that the government no longer needs to balance its budget, it just needs to pursue full employment. 
Drum roll, please. Bump, bump, bow. That's a big statement. Uh, many of you, of course, familiar that the um, that the Federal Reserve's, you know, dual mandate to st- to create stable prices and to pursue full employment. So what MMT is saying is that you know what, it totally doesn't matter if budgets balance at all. All that actually matters is the stability of the real economy, whatever that is taken to mean. You know, Chris DeMuth, I read um, uh, one of his articles recently, and uh, in, in terms of he's a political historian, he made the point that for 181 years, U.S. government basically balanced its budget, right? You know, for almost 181 years. It was small ups and downs, but, but nothing like we're seeing now. 181 years until the significant change. All right, so let's press on. The next part that Dr. Stephanie Kelton talks about in Chapter 1 is she quotes a an important speech by British uh, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher back in 1983. And here's the quote from Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher says in this speech, I quote, The state has no source of money other than the money people earn themselves. If the state wishes to spend more It can only do so by borrowing your savings or taxing more. So there is that idea that most of us would have grown up with that um, that the government doesn't have any money except the money that it takes from us. Uh, Interesting that I just got a copy of Dominic Frisbee's book on tax called Daylight Robbery. (laughs) Daylight Robbery. That, uh, That the government has no money except for the money it steals, sorry, the money it raises from the general polis. So this is where MMT begins, goes further down its path of you know, radical departure. Page 23, Dr. Kelton says, the government doesn't need our money. We need their money. We've got the whole thing backward. This is MMT. This is pure MMT, right? One more time, page 23. The government doesn't need our money. We need their money. We've got the whole thing backward backwards so then she introduces this difference between tabs and stabs not sure if you've heard of this before but if you haven't um tabs is what thatcher's talking about tab stands for uh, the t is for tax um the a is for and and the b is for borrow so the government taxes and borrows via bond issuing and then spends that's tabs tax and borrows and spends MMT argues that it's completely backwards, that the truth is that what happens first is stabs. The government spends first, it taxes and borrows and then spends again into the economy, but it's spending first. So it's not raising revenue first, it's pumping money into the economy first, and then it taxes and borrows. And this is where it, you know I kind of did feel I'd fallen into a parallel universe because where this kind of goes in terms of well the obvious questions you know why tax at all um you know why have bond issuing at all if you can just permanently you know spend into the economy we'll get to that very soon um so the next thing we have here is her she talks about uh, her encounter with warren mosler who's seen as the father of mmt so mosler was a um a trader he was uh you know independently wealthy as a as a wall street guy and after many years of just you know watching transactions happen, apparently he asked himself one day, "Where does the money come from?" So he would see money, you know, huge sums of money moving in and out of accounts, and he was curious about where those very first dollars had come from. 
So Mosler's thesis is that the government doesn't need our money because it creates it and spends it. So the obvious question, you know, apparently Stephanie Kelton went down to Florida to meet him and she asked the obvious question. She said, well, if, if they don't need our money, then why tax us at all? Why, why, you know, what's the whole system based on? So Mosler's great statement was that the government doesn't need our money and Kelton says, well, what does it need? And it says it needs us to provision it. What the government needs is for is to the reason it creates taxes is to force us to work to provision itself. So by forcing us to have to go to work to get its currency, which we then pay it back in taxes, we actually go and do things in the in the real economy. We get jobs as doctors, nurses, you know, maintenance people. And so he argues that what the government actually needs isn't our money. What the government actually needs is our labor. It needs a military, it needs a court system, it needs national park workers. So by creating currency and and then taxing it back off us, it forces us to work to keep itself running. And in the first video I said this is, you know, it's it's really kind of a hive mentality. It's a very utilitarian con construct of what it means to be human and the, you know, the importance of work. So that is Mosler's kind of departure. And Mosler gives her an example. He, you know, he talked about having his kids at home in Florida and the house was getting messy and that he wanted the kids to start uh, cleaning up the house. And they're like, yeah, you know, we'll get to it. He even offered to pay them and they're like, yeah, you know, we'll get to it. So he said to them one day, he tried an experiment. He printed up a bunch of his own business cards, not money, just his own business cards. And he said to his kids, hey, I am going to give you 10 of my business cards if you do these chores you know mow the lawn wash the cars do the dishes tidy up your bedrooms if you do that i'm going to give you 10 of my business cards and they're like we don't want your stupid business cards we're not doing the work so you know they're like why would we want your business cards so then he comes up with this other idea he says to them you know what here's what's going to happen um, at the end of I'm going to give you a whole bunch of these cards and you're going to work and if you don't give these back to me at the end of the month then you're going to lose all your privileges you don't get TV you don't get to go to, to the mall you don't get to do X and X and X and all of a sudden the kids started working rapidly and to give him back these cards because once he got his cards back they were free to go and do whatever they want so he realized that in an instant his business cards his paper currency that he printed suddenly became valuable because his children needed those cards to get their privileges back so the example was that's kind of what mmt is saying about tax dollars is that you know the fiat currency is utterly worthless it's paper so where does its value come from mmt would say well you know you need that paper fiat currency to be able to avoid punishment avoid going to prison and so the government uses it to force us to work. Interesting. So, what else did he have to say here? Uh, taxes exist, according to MMT, to create a demand for government currency. Taxes exist to create a demand for government currency. That's just mind-bending, isn't it? It's like we think of taxes as, you know, we're working and producing and then the government creates taxes to steal the money off us to do all these things that it needs to do but this mmt paradigm is that yeah the government's using that system to provision itself and forcing us to work to keep itself going um she says here once you're able to see that the government's ability to spend doesn't revolve around the taxpayer dollar the whole fiscal paradigm shifts 
So once again, she says, once you're able to see that the government ability to spend doesn't revolve around the taxpayer dollar, the whole fiscal paradigm shifts. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. It's um, it is a, it's a genuine paradigm shift because we all grow up thinking that you know, government's ability to spend is based on how much tax revenue it raises. But uh, you know, the MMT people are just like going, no, irrelevant. We the taxes have nothing to do with what the government can spend. The taxes just exist to make us work. All right. So at least to the obvious question, why have taxes in MMT at all? And so here they are. She lists four reasons. Number one, taxes enable governments to provision themselves without the use of explicit force. It's just, don't you sense a certain kind of malevolence in that? And some people go, well, this is the nature of, you know, of, uh, I guess, the sociological compact that holds cultures together, that instead of forcing us into slave labor, the government uses this system of taxation to make us do what it would otherwise have to force us to do so taxes and en- uh, enable governments to provision themselves without the use of explicit force number two taxes exist to restrain inflation by taking currency away so she wrote a few paragraphs on this basically i think she's arguing that if the government just kept spending more and more and more and more currency into various projects it would be inflationary so by taxing us, they get to pull money out or pull currency out of the real economy so they can target it elsewhere. So it's a way of subtracting dollars out of the economy. Uh, number three, uh, wealth redistribution. Taxes exist for wealth redistribution, as we will find. Um, that is a great love of the MMT people. They are here to help us, friends. They're here to save us. They're here to... Um, are they all social justice warriors? No, but there is a strong sense that uh, that we need to use uh, fiscal and monetary policy, fiscal policy definitely, to take wealth away, to redistribute it. Of course, um, who gets to decide about that redistribution? So there is a strong there is a strong soak the rich vein through her writing, but she argues that. We need to soak the rich for um, redistributive reasons. She doesn't think that soaking the rich is actually going to help in a fiscal sense. It's just good to spread the love around by taking it off those that have so much. Uh, Now, I picked up something here reading this. Uh, She argues that one of the reasons we need to use tax for wealth distribution, in her words, she says, because inequality has never been higher. So this is at the time of her writing it. Now, Help me if I'm wrong here, but we've been running Keynesianism for, you know, you know, really since Bretton Woods, right? So um, if inequality's never been higher, we've been running these kind of profligate MMT-style approaches. So surely if Keynesianism and MMT was the way to go, we would... Well, why is inequality worse? And basically she's advocating for more Keynesianism, more MMT... I got lost on that part. So, anyway, I'll be interested in your thoughts on that. And finally, why do we have taxes? To encourage or discourage certain behaviours. Hmm. Interesting. And I said in the first video, who gets to decide which behaviours need to be encouraged or discouraged? I am a lover of American whiskey. I just think bourbon is one of the greatest things God ever did. And I also love smoking a pipe. I don't smoke it a lot, but I do have it. And, uh... I don't need anybody to tell me that those behaviors should be discouraged. It's, you know, this is the, the ba- a basic libertarian principle, right? Like, 
I guess there's got to be boundaries, there's got to be some parameters, but um, when taxation is used to encourage or discourage certain behaviours, the real question is who gets to make the decisions about that. Okay, almost done. So the last couple of things here is, uh, the obvious question is, um, then what are the limits here? Why, why not just print and spend indefinitely, which kind of looks like what's happening at the moment anyway, but this is the MMT thesis is that the real limit on spending is not the productive economy as such. The real limit on spending isn't on taxation or anything else. The real limit on spending is all about inflation. So the MMT people have this fixation with inflation and they want to tell us that the, the that they're deadly serious about not being profligate spenders because their real focus is on inflation. So here she says, this is a direct quote from Stephanie Kelton, MMT is not about removing all limits. It's not a free lunch. I don't know if you've seen the CARES Act. I think you might disagree. But anyway, we go on. She says, it's about replacing our current approach, one obsessed with budget outcomes, with one that prioritizes human outcomes, whatever that means. And she finishes by saying, while at the same time recognizing and respecting our economy's real resource constraints. So for me, when I read that kind of thing, and I don't mean to be overly pejorative, but it's 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 kind of an obfuscation. It's a sort of sophist word sandwich. Um you know, it's not about removing all limits, but it does seem that way if you look at it. And it's not a free lunch. Well, it seems to be a free lunch for certain people who've got their noses closest to the, you know, their snouts closest to the trough, the Cantillon effect. It's about, this is, listen to this part, it's about replacing our current approach, one obsessed with budget outcomes, because common sense would suggest, you know, that basic household budgeting idea. It's about replacing our obsession with budget outcomes with one that prioritizes human outcomes. Now, I want to talk about that for two seconds as I finish. When I did my first degree many, many years ago, as an undergrad student, I was doing an education degree. We had this teacher come in, this, this you know, associate professor, who, who ran a semester course, and the number of times he kept saying, we need to do the most human thing. We need to ask what the most human outcome is. And I kept sitting there thinking, what does that actually mean? Because if you want to talk about you know prioritizing human outcomes well then this is a question of philosophical anthropology it's a question of ontology which really is at the heart of most of what animates me in this whole area is you can't describe what political economy should be until you have an accurate understanding of the human person what sort of thing is a person what leads to human flourishing so I don't think the MMT people are coming at it from that angle. Uh, prioritizes human outcomes. For me, it's it's very ethereal. And how would you quantify or qualify that? You know, if you don't have some kind of hard parameters around fiscal policy, but you're prioritizing human outcomes, I think in general it tends to be playing into this whole, um, uh, you know, um, Foc Michel Foucault's kind of, you know, this this vast victim mentality idea that we're just going to create economies that funnel huge amounts of transfer payments to victim groups or victim classes. I think that's kind of, for me, and I'm really happy to be wrong, and if you think I'm way off, I'd love you to leave a comment. Um, that seems to be what, if I look at the current US political landscape, and this is in June of 2021, 
that we're seeing this vast transfer um, creating a dependent class by using this idea of human outcomes anyway that's just a thought so friends let's finish up what have I learned in chapter one? I've learned, according to MMT, I must no longer think of our political overlords as having anything uh, to do with household-style budgeting. Our government is a currency issuer, not a currency user. Therefore, it can print, as long as it's printing and borrowing in its own currency, it has monetary sovereignty and can print and spend forever and ever. Amen. The only limit being inflation. And uh, what else? The, um, the tabs and stabs principle, that uh, it's not about taxing and borrowing and then spending, it's about spending first and then taxing and borrowing, and that taxes are used to force us to work without the use of explicit force. Isn't that good news? <laughs> you know, isn't that good news next time you get a whopping great tax bill? My accountant uh, emailed me yesterday with my tax bill for the year. Isn't that good that, you know, we get to give them this money uh, in response for them not sending in the jackboots and driving us to work in a gulag. God bless them. So, sorry, I'm being flippant, but you get the point. I'm just interested. I'm genuinely interested in, in what people think about this. So, friends, that's chapter one of Stephanie Kelton's The Deficit Myth, myth as we all head down the MMT rabbit hole together. So wherever you, if you, if you're seeing this, hearing this on YouTube, I'd love you to leave a comment. Otherwise, please come across to the Supply Side podcast um, at supplysidepartners.com and leave a comment there um, if you like what you're hearing please post this on social media last thing from me um, i would love you to become a patron if you like what you're hearing and uh, best i can tell i'm a, just about the only person on the internet trying to revive uh, a genuine supply side classical economic uh, discussion uh, i know there's other accounts and people doing stuff but i'm trying to bring together many of the best thinkers in the world so if you want to see this keep happening please consider supporting me on patreon if you just go to patreon.com and do a search for jonathan doyle i would love your help uh, as a supporter of what i'm trying to do all right friends that's it for this episode next week uh we are going to have sam Gregg, the research director from the acton institute on that's going to be fantastic we have kirill sokoloff coming on in a couple of days which is a huge privilege really looking forward to that and then uh, we've got so many good guests coming up so please make sure you've subscribed my name is jonathan doyle this has been the supply side podcast now get back to work so you can give that tax money tax money back to the government friends all right i've enjoyed doing this i'm going to have another message for you very soon 